and amen. I would put it to you tonight that nobody could say that a Pharisee was not diligent. The term Pharisee means to be separate. And the main characteristic of the Pharisees was that whenever they looked at the nation of Israel, there were many people who were half-hearted in their religion, in Judaism. And so the Pharisees wanted to be separate from those that were half-hearted. They wanted to be wholehearted, wholeheartedly devoted to God's Word. And as a result, whenever they looked at the Old Testament, they discovered that there were 613 laws written by Moses. And then, in order to clarify those laws, they ended up adding to the laws that were in God's Word. And whenever it came, for example, to the fourth commandment, where we are told to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, they thought that, well, we're told in the fourth commandment not to work, but, but what is work? And so the Pharisees developed 39 different categories of work and of what work meant. And then within each of those 39 categories, the Pharisees then made up lots of different rules of how they could not work in that particular category. For example, walking was deemed as a category of work. And so the Pharisees thought, well, you're not allowed to walk more than 2,000 cubits. That is two-thirds of a mile. Whenever it came to writing, writing could be described as work by the Pharisees. So whenever you're writing, you're not allowed to write two or more letters. You can write one. More than that, you're not allowed to actually scribble out or to erase two or more letters because that would be labor and that would be work. Whenever it came to building, you were not allowed to build, nor were you allowed to demolish a building. Whenever it came to other aspects, you were not allowed to look in a mirror, which is fixed to a wall. You're not allowed to kindle or extinguish a fire, nor were you even allowed to light a candle. Whenever it came to farming, you were not allowed to sow or plant. You're not allowed to reap, uh, to thresh, or to winnow. Whenever it came to making bread, they had 11 commands. Whenever it came to making clothing, they had 13 commands. Whenever it came to making of leather, they had nine commands. So I put it to you that the Pharisees, wanting to be separate from those that were half-hearted, they were very diligent. Very diligent. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the term diligence means to be steady, earnest, devoted, painstaking, and energetic in your effort. The Pharisees clearly wanted to make the Sabbath special. I wonder, do you want to make the Sabbath special? The Lord, at the very beginning of the creation of the world, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, we read that the Lord rested on the seventh day. He set it apart, He blessed it, and He sanctified it. That's repeated, actually, again later on. Then, whenever it came to the time of Moses, the Lord reminded the people of what was already commanded at the creation. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the reason for that fourth commandment was because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and then rested on the seventh day. So therefore you follow God's pattern. Many people wrongly think that the Sabbath day is something that's part of the ceremonial law, but it's not that at all. No, the reason mentioned in the fourth commandment was because of creation. Even the Pharisees got that. And in fact, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, in verse 27, even in Christ's day in the New Testament, Christ said the Sabbath was made for man, for man's benefit, and not man made for the Sabbath. But the point I want to make 
the beginning of this, is that the Pharisees wanted to make the Sabbath special. They knew that God commanded them from the very creation of the world that the Sabbath was to be set apart. And they sought to make it special. And I wonder, are you one who seeks to fulfill the Word of God and make the Sabbath special? I trust that many of you do. But if you do, the question comes tonight, how do you make it special? How do you make it special? I want us to look at two things tonight. The first is this, the standard of the Pharisees. What was their standard in making the Sabbath special? And you apply the standard of the Pharisees to yourself and ask if you're similar. The first is this. The standard of the Pharisees in making the Sabbath special was primarily practical, not spiritual. In all that I mentioned, and all the different rules and regulations that they made, the different 39 categories of work and all the rules within that, it was very clear that the Pharisees wanted a list of do's and do nots. That's what the Sabbath was all about. Do this and don't do that. You see, it was very practical. Organize your life in a very practical way around what not to do. And if you don't do those things, well, then you're okay. It was just a very practical day. Don't do all these things and you're okay. And is that what you're standards all about. Just don't do this, don't do that, don't watch TV, don't do the other thing. Just a list of do's and don'ts. And if you don't do those things, well, you're okay. In your mind, you've kept the law of God, keeping this day set apart. Let's see, you've got the wrong standard. What is the standard of God? You turn me, please, to the Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. In verse 8, the fourth commandment commences, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is, to keep it set apart. Verse 9, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. It is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. You see, there's two titles here given to the one who created us. There is a term God, Elohim, referring to the one who is our creator and sustainer. And so the Sabbath is one then said and is set aside because of the one who created us. He created us for his glory, for his honor, for his purpose. And therefore to set aside one then said and because of him who is our creator. We're also to set aside one then said and because of the one who is our redeemer, the one who is our savior. Because it's not merely the Sabbath of God, it is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. The one who's made a covenant to save the people in his son Jesus Christ. The Sabbath is set apart for God as our creator and because of Christ our Savior. Now, how do we do that? Well, I want to give you four principles of how we do that. The first is this, the principle of recognition. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the very first Sabbath day recorded. Now, think about this. Whenever God made Adam, God made Adam the sixth day, the very first full day that Adam had was what? It was the Sabbath day. So before Adam was to get involved in all the work that God had for him, and looking after the garden and everything else, before Adam was to get involved with anything like that, his very first day was the Sabbath day, where he was to stand back and recognize that God is his creator. All that Adam had was given to him by God. 
And all that Adam had belonged to God. His life, his talents, his time. God wanted Adam and indeed mankind to begin with the Sabbath. It's not the idea you try and fit the Sabbath into your week, with the rest of the week to be surrounded and focused on the Sabbath. And so the first purpose of the Sabbath at the very beginning of the Bible was recognition. Recognize before you get into all these other things that all you have, your very existence, is because of God. And therefore your very existence, your life, your time, your talents belongs to God. So many times we can become intoxicated with our own importance, thinking that life is all about us. But Romans chapter 11, verses 35 and 36, we read, Who hath first given to God? For of God and through God and to God are all things to Him be glory forever. So the purpose of the Sabbath is recognition. That's the first principle. The second principle of the Sabbath is celebration. In Genesis chapter 2, we read that God rested the seventh day from all His work which He had made. The question comes, why did God rest? God did not need to rest because He's God. He never gets weary. He never gets exhausted. And also, God was still working in the sense that He was still sustaining creation and still upholding creation. So why did God rest? God rested to show that His work of creation was complete. It was finished. No more planets to make, no more stars to make, no more new types of birds, no more new types of insects, etc. God's work of creation was completed. And in the Bible, we read about a second creation where there will be a new heaven and a new earth in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. You may ask, well, what's, what's the parallel? What's the significance between these two? Well, first is this. You think about the first creation, and there we have days one to three where God is doing the work of forming, all that He's doing. And then days four to six are all about filling. And there's a great parallel there between the work that Christ is doing in the gospel. Because Jesus Christ, on His ministry in this earth, he lived a perfect life that needed to be lived. And then he went to the cross and he paid the debt that needed to be paid for our sins so that we could be saved. And then rising again the third day, which was the Sabbath, which was the first day of the week, which we now remember, Christ now sending his apostles throughout the world and then his servants so that this world will be filled with the people that know and love the Lord. And then at the end of time, it's all going to be completed. The second creation, all whom Christ has saved, is all going to be completed. And then we're going to have the new heaven and the new earth. You see, the purpose of the Sabbath, the first principle, is its recognition. Before we do anything in life, we remember that all we have belongs to God. And the second purpose of the Sabbath is celebration. Celebrating that Christ is the one who has completed the work, done all that's necessary for our salvation. He's been raised from the dead. And he's now saving a people unto himself. You see, in the Old Testament, they worked for six days and then they rest on the seventh. The idea is they were always looking and waiting for what was going to come. But now we begin our week with the Sabbath because now we look back in our six days of work to what God has done once and for all. And we celebrate that the work is now completed whenever it comes to the gospel. The third principle of the Sabbath 
is proclamation. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10, we read, Six days shalt thou labor, and do all thy work. That is, you to complete your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Now, if you turn me, please, to Psalm 92. Psalm 92 has a, an inspired title on it, and it is that it is a psalm, or indeed a song, for the Sabbath day. Psalm 92. So this is what God wanted his people to think about whenever it came to the Sabbath. In verse 1 we read, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. What is a good thing to do on the Sabbath day? It is to praise the Lord. But notice also verse 2, To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, and thy faithfulness every night. And at the end of the psalm, for the brevity of time, to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Whenever God commanded his people to keep the Sabbath, to set aside one day to rest from their work, as it were, to get it all completed so they could rest then on the seventh day, it was so, yes, of course, they would praise the Lord. We'll see that in a moment or two. But it was so that they would be able to proclaim the Lord, reveal the Lord, and who he is to them, to all the nations around about you see, by resting in this day, it showed two things. It showed that the people of God loved the Lord. You think, for example, in the days of Israel, and you had the Israelites there, and you had all the nations round about. And you can imagine all the nations round about, and they would look at Israel, and they begin to wonder, why are they setting aside one day and seven? Sure, that one day and seven is an extra day in the week that you could manufacture some clothing. It's an extra day in the week when you could sell stuff in the market. It's an extra day in the week when you could sow a few more crops. It's an extra day in which you can make a little bit extra money. You know, Israelites, why are you setting aside one day and seven to worship your Lord and your God? And whenever the pagans looked at it, surely it must be, well, they must love the Lord an awful lot. They must love the Lord a lot more than their business, a lot more than their money, a lot more than the things this world. They must love God above all things. And what the children of Israel were doing there by setting apart one day and seven was showing all around. They were proclaiming that God is worthy of their love because it would set aside one day for him. Not only showed their love for the Lord, but also showed their trust in the Lord. Imagine again, there in ancient Israel, imagine the weather signs were indicating that heavy rain was going to come. It was coming near the end of the week, and the weather signs were indicating that in a few days' time, things are not going to good, be good. They would need to get the crop in. And all the pagan farmers, they would work extra hard there on the Sabbath day, to get their crops in so that the crops were not damaged by the bad weather that was going to come, the heavy rain, whatever it was. But there, the farmers in Israel, they decided that whenever it came to Sabbath, they weren't going to work. They're going to take the day off, a full 24 hours. You can imagine the pagan farmers around about looking at the Israelites and asking, why on earth are you not working? Do you not care about your crop? Do you not care that you're going to lose your crop and lose all the time and effort you put into it? An Israelite farmer just simply replied, well, God has given us one day and seven to rest. God knows that we need a rest. If God wants our crops to be destroyed in the rain, well, that's okay. God will make sure that we have enough food to eat. He is our shepherd, and we shall not be in want. And ultimately, 
The Lord has told us in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, will they labor in vain to build it? Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. And so why that psalm is primarily talking there about sleep, yet it's also talking about rest and the idea you don't need to be anxious. You do your work in the time that God's allotted you, and then you take a rest from it for your own benefit. And you just trust the Lord with the physical aspects of life. You're not panicking, you're trusting. You're not anxiously worrying, you're trusting. Trusting the Lord, that He's faithful and He'll provide for you. And so you see, the Sabbath, according to Psalm 92, was a way of showing forth the faithfulness of God and the loving kindness of God. That as the people of God would set aside one day and put God before their money and their business and put their trust in God, that God will work all things together for good in the end, they were showing to all the pagan nations how great God is. The principle of the Sabbath was recognition, celebration in the work of God, but also then it was proclamation. But notice with me one other principle, and that is of worship. If you turn me, please, to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus in chapter 23. Here we have the Lord speaking on to Moses. And in verse 2 of Leviticus 23, we read these words of the Lord. Speak on the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which he shall proclaim to be holy convocations, that is the idea of assembly set apart, sacred assembling of your people, even these are my feasts. And then in verse 3, six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, and holy convocation. The purpose of the Sabbath was through that the people of God would gather together. They would assemble together. They would set themselves apart from their dwellings and gather together because it's a Sabbath of the Lord, a Sabbath to worship the Lord. You see, in Psalm 29, you and I are told that we are to bring glory to the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And if you look in your margin, it's the idea in the glorious tabernacle. It's corporate worship. And in fact, if you turn me, please, to Psalm 87, I want to show you a verse that the Lord gave to me during lockdown. And I preached on it a number of weeks. But Psalm 87, on the verse 2, we read here that the Lord loveth the gates of Zion. Zion was the place of Jerusalem where the, te where the temple was, a place of public worship. People gathered together there to worship the Lord. We read there, the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And while I could spend a lot of time on this, yet the, the principle I want to leave with you is this. That why the Lord loves to worship his people in that individual manner, in your quiet times, and in your home, and your family worship. And the Lord does love that. Yet the reality is the Lord loves the gathering of his people together in his day more than anything else in this world. And the reason God loves it is because God is more glorified with the corporate gathering of people together than any other thing that could ever be done in this world. There are a whole variety of reasons for that. Let me just mention two of them. The first is this. Whenever people are called together to assemble themselves together, not to forsake the assembling of themselves together, but to gather together to worship the Lord, 
They together bring public glory to God. And you see, public honor and public worship is even more significant than private worship. There's so many examples of that in daily life. Whenever it comes to the Queen's honor list year by year, the Queen could just honor people in private, send them a little private letter in the post and say, I'm going to honor you. But the Queen doesn't do that. The Queen, well, not of course the King, publicly puts out all those who are going to be honored because public honor is far more significant than private honor. Whenever it comes to people who do well in the Olympic Games and they get a medal, they could just be given the medal in the changing rooms afterwards, but that's not the way it's done because they're told to stand in the podium and they're to get their gold, their silver, their bronze medal to show that the public honor, the public praise, the public commendation is far more significant than the private. Whenever God's people gather together, they are publicly worshiping God, publicly praising God. And God says he loves that. Oh, yes, he loves the private praise, but God loves the public even all the more because it brings him greater glory than anything else that's done privately. See, what's the purpose of the Sabbath? It's not a list of rules and do nots. Don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other thing. It's not about the practical. That's a standard of the Pharisees. The standard of God and Scripture are the principles. Recognize that all that you have belongs to God. That you're to begin with a Sabbath. Begin with standing back and recognize that God is the one who's made you, just as Adam was to begin life that way. So we're to begin every week that way. You're to then, of course, to celebrate that as God completed the first creation, so God has completed the work of the second creation of salvation. And rejoice in that. Celebrate in that. Take time to contemplate it. It's also a day for proclamation. By your life, by your lips, to proclaim that God is a faithful God. That God is worthy of our love. Worthy of our trust. Worthy of setting aside many things so that we can then fourthly worship God. Worship Him collectively. Worship Him corporately. It was very easy for just us to be like the Pharisees and just say, well, you know what, I, I want to set the Sabbath as special and I'll just not do that and I'll not do the other thing. And at the end of the day, you can think, well, I didn't do lots of things, so I'm okay and I kept the Sabbath. But let me ask you, if you kept the Sabbath today, throughout the day, have you fulfilled these four principles again and again? Have you recognized that the whole purpose of this day is that you just stand back and remember, God created me. I live for this one purpose, and that is God's. Have you been one who has celebrated, truly celebrated, thinking that Christ has completed salvation there at the cross, and he cried out, it is finished, and he rose again the third day? Have you thought about that, studied that, contemplated, and celebrated it, rejoiced in it with all your heart? Have you let the truth of Christ and the gospel change your heart today? That's the purpose of the Sabbath. Have you been one that's proclaimed it? That God is worthy of worship, worthy of gathering together, worthy not only publicly but privately, worshiping Him. Not doing your work, not doing your studying, not doing your coursework, setting it all aside. Lord, I want to worship you in private and ultimately in public to worship you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. 
You see, the standard of the Pharisees was practical. Just a list of do-nots. But the standard of God is different. That's how we're to set apart the Sabbath. By these four principles. And if we fail, we sin against God. We reserve the wrath of God. Because He created for this. He created us for this. This is the first thing that God made man to do. Was the Sabbath, to keep it. No matter what else we get right, if we feel this, we feel the very first thing. We need the forgiveness of God. Notice with me another thing. The standard of men and the Pharisees was practical rather than spiritual, but also the standard of the Pharisees was boastful rather than humble. You see, whenever you and I look at the gospel according to Luke in the chapter 6, you and I will find that the Pharisees made themselves a self-appointed keepers of the Jewish identity for almost 200 years. And under the Roman domination, they had increasingly made the Sabbath all about a way of distinguishing them as Jews. You see, in the time of Christ, the Jewish people had lost their king on David's throne. They'd lost their language of Hebrew because they primarily spoke Aramaic. They'd lost their prophets. There hadn't been a prophet for over 400 years. And so the Pharisees thought, well, if we're going to keep our Jewish identity, keep us separate from the Romans, which are all around us, one thing we must keep is the Sabbath. And the purpose of the Sabbath is so that we will keep ourselves separate from all those around us, all the pagans. And we can be proud in this. We keep the Sabbath. We can be like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Oh God, I thank thee. I'm not like other men are. I don't do this on the Sabbath. I don't do that on the Sabbath. I don't do the other thing on the Sabbath. Lord, I'm greater than everybody else around me. You see, the purpose of the Sabbath was for boasting. It was to be boastful rather than humble. And yet, the real purpose of the Sabbath is actually for us to be humble, to recognize that my whole life belongs to God, but the reality is I don't give all my life to God. The reality is I feel God every day of the week. I don't love Him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I'm nothing in and of myself, but I praise God He sent His Son to love me and die for me. I wonder, are you ever proud? I keep the Sabbath. I keep the day special. People in, in my university or in my work don't keep it. People in my school don't keep it. But I do. You know, there's somebody else in the church, and, and, you know, and they watch TV on a Sunday, but I don't. And, you know, oh, I'm proud. Lord, I thank you. I'm not like them. The purpose, God's purpose for the Sabbath is to be humble. Not boastful. There's me a third thing. The standard of the Pharisees was in reality miserable rather than joyful. Turn me, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, where we commenced. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. We read in verse 1, And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first, that he heeded his Christ went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn, and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certainly the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? So rather than thinking about what Christ was doing, all the Pharisees could think about was what they were not to be doing. You see, the Sabbath to the Pharisees was all negative. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. It was really a day that was miserable for them. It was not a day that was joyful for them. But yet the whole purpose of the Sabbath was that it was to be a gift. A gift to men. I'll show that to you. Turn to me, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. We have the same context here in Mark chapter 2, because in Mark chapter 3, we're going to have Christ healing the man with a withered hand. In verses 
uh, 23 to the end of verse 28. In Mark chapter 2, we have the context of Christ walking through the ears of corn on the Sabbath day. But notice what Christ says in Mark chapter 2. Verse 27, Christ says to these Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for the benefit of man. The Sabbath was made to be a gift to man. Not man's the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't made first, and then men after that. And the men are simply to honor the Sabbath because the Sabbath itself is just worth honoring in itself itself. No, man was made first. And the Sabbath was made for the benefit of man. You see, the Sabbath is to be a gift. It's to be a joyful thing. You think about Genesis chapter 1 and 2, whenever God ordained the Sabbath, he blessed it, he sanctified it, he set it apart. That was never man hadn't even fallen. The Sabbath is not a punishment to men for their sin. The Sabbath was a gift to men, even in the perfect paradise. There were three ordinances that God gave, Sabbath, work, and marriage. And yet so often today, our hearts are twisted, our minds are twisted to see these things as burdens and not as gifts. Work is a burden. Marriage, commitment, oh, what a burden. The Sabbath, what a burden. But no, 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 they're gifts from God. You think about whenever the Lord reiterated it all there in Exodus chapter 20. You think about Exodus, the Lord's people were in Egypt and they were slaves in Egypt. And in Egypt, they had to work seven days a week. They were beaten if they didn't work long hours each day of the week by their taskmasters. The Israelites were overworked, underslept, and they were malnourished. They had no time, really, to read the Scriptures. They were exhausted by the time they got home. They had no time, really, to contemplate God. No time to gather together to sing and to worship God. They were working each day of the week, long hours. No time to meditate on God's completed work. But whenever God freed them from slavery in Egypt, freed them from bondage, there in the Ten Commandments, there in the Fourth Commandment, God gave them a command. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You think about that. That was a gift to them. They now have time to rest. They can rest from their work without feeling guilty about it. And more than that, God was taking away any possibility of any cruel Jewish employer forcing some of their Jewish employees to work on the Sabbath. No, they were free now to enjoy God, to contemplate God, to recognize God, to focus on God. Every man, every woman, every child could set aside the things of this world and of their work and focus on God. They could spend time with God's people, celebrate with God's people. The Sabbath was to be a gift to them, not a burden. That they could be strengthened as they gazed upon this Messiah who is the bread of life. They'd be satisfied, strengthened, revived, and refreshed in the one who is their Savior. And I wonder yet today, whenever we think about the Sabbath, whenever we wake up on the Lord's Day morning, do we groan? Oh, the Sabbath. Do you think about all the things you cannot do? can't go shopping today, can't play football today, can't play video games today, can't get ahead with my work today, can't do this, can't do that. Or do you see the Sabbath for what it's meant to be? It's a gift from God. Do you wake up on this Lord's Day morning and think, brilliant, just think of what I can do. I can spend so much extra time thinking about God. I can spend so much time in the Word of God. I can spend so much time coming together with God's people to fellowship with Him and to praise God and to celebrate what God has done. More time now to pray. Oh, I was so busy throughout the week, but now I've got extra time to spend with God, to feed upon Him who is the bread of life, to be refreshed in Him, revived in Him, strengthened in Him. Oh, it's a beautiful day. 
In Isaiah 58, the people of God, you and I are exhorted to call the Sabbath a delight. To delight ourselves in the Lord. I wonder, is the Sabbath our delight? The song of the psalmist in Psalm 84, is that our song? How amiable, how beautiful, how wonderfully desirous are thy tabernacles, O Lord. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. I want to spend time with thee. I want to be in thy presence. I want to pray to thee. I want to praise thee. I want to learn more of thee. Is that our song? Is the Sabbath a delight? If we see it as a burden, we're failing the Sabbath. We're failing God. We're breaking the Sabbath. You see, the standard of the Pharisees was miserable, not joyful. Then also the standard of the Pharisees was actually hateful rather than charitable. If you turn me, please, again to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. I'll not read all the verses for the sake of time, but in verses 7 and 11, we read about how there was a man who came into the synagogue that day, and we find there that Christ wanted to heal the man with a withered hand. But the Pharisees didn't want it to happen, and so they were watching Christ, and Christ was very much aware of that. But remember the context that we read in Mark chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for man, for the benefit of man. It was made, really, for the purpose of mercy. You see, so that God would show mercy to those that were weary and give them a day of rest. God would show mercy to those who were busy and let them set aside their business. God would show mercy to those who were distracted throughout the week so they could focus then afresh on what life is all about, namely the Lord himself. On the Sabbath, it was a day of mercy to fallen men that they could hear come and gather together to hear the words of life and the preaching of God's word. The Sabbath was really all about mercy. But the Pharisees, they turned this day of mercy not merely into a day of misery, but in the day of hatred. Because never this man, this man with a withered hand, needed mercy. They thought, no, no, don't be showing mercy on the Sabbath day. Wait till the next day. Wait till the next day. Where Christ wanted to show mercy on the Sabbath day. Christ said, come and I'll heal you now. And the Pharisees said, no, you wait. You suffer longer. And the standard of the Pharisees, they made the Sabbath actually a day of being hateful rather than charitable. You see, the hearts of men are often so cold and heartless. Praise God, the heart of God is always loving and gracious. This is a great encouragement. If you're one here tonight and you want mercy, this is the day of mercy. This is what the Sabbath is all about, mercy. Maybe you're lost and you're a sinner. You recognize you have not fulfilled this fourth commandment. You have failed to use it as a day to fulfill the four principles, recognizing that you have your life from God and it all belongs to Him, celebrating the work of Christ, thinking upon it, studying it, delighting in it, worshiping Him for it, proclaiming Him to others all around, regarding it by your life and lips. You realize that I, I, I failed this commandment miserably every, every single Sabbath, every single week. Well, praise God, this is the day of mercy. Christ delights to show mercy in the Sabbath day. You ask Him for mercy and forgiveness, He'll forgive you. You come to him in faith and repentance. He'll save you. Maybe you're here and you're a backslidden child of God. You know your heart's been so cold. Christ is willing to forgive you. He's willing to welcome you home. This is the day of mercy. Maybe you're longing for Christ to lead you on with himself, dear child of God. For Christ to show you more of himself. Well, praise God, this is the day of mercy. The Sabbath's all about mercy. Mercy. 
Christ is willing to work in you and to change you, to show you such, so much more of himself. My time is gone tonight, but I want just to finish with something which I believe is very important. Because while we've seen the standard of the Pharisees and how it was completely wrong, they wanted to set aside the day as special, but it was completely wrong. And we've seen what the standard of God is. But notice with me just one final thing, and that is the sovereignty of Christ. In Luke chapter 6, as Christ goes through the field and he eats the food, and the Pharisees come and they rebuke Christ for it, Christ says in verse 5 unto the Pharisees that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Many people think that the term Son of Man actually refers to Christ's humanity. He is descendant from man. That's not the meaning of the term. The Son of Man is actually a term found in Daniel, which highlights that the Son of Man is the one who comes in the clouds to God the Father. And he's given a kingdom that's universal and everlasting with authority and power from God. The Son of Man is actually a term regarding Christ's deity. He's the one accepted by God the Father, appointed by God the Father, with authority from God the Father. But yet, what Christ is emphasizing here is not merely is Christ the one who is the Lord, the sovereign one over all the nations, to see the people unto himself, but the Christ is also the sovereign one over the Sabbath. Christ never stopped the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for today. I showed that at the very beginning. It was a creation ordinance, repeated in Exodus, and exemplified and highlighted in the days of Christ. It was made for the benefit of man. Just as Moses needed the Sabbath, just as Abraham needed the Sabbath, just as even Adam needed, needed the Sabbath, so you and I need the Sabbath for all the same reasons. The Sabbath is still in existence. Christ is Lord of it. He never disannulled it. It's still therefore applicable to you and I. But yet notice this. The reason Christ talks here about David and brings the Pharisees back to David how David, whenever he was fleeing from Saul, he, 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 he took some food and he ate on the Sabbath. And Christ points them back to David was to show two things. The first was this, very simply, well, if David, the king, was allowed by God to eat in the Sabbath day in the situation that he did, well, surely me as God himself, the Son of Man, with authority from the Father, surely I have the right to eat in the Sabbath. That's the first thing. But here's the second thing. David... Whenever he was eating on the Sabbath, those who were against David and what he was doing was Saul. David was the rightful king, appointed by God, going to be used by God to drive back the enemies of God, a man after God's own heart. But yet Saul hated David, hunted David, wanted to kill David. But what was the end result? David was made king, and Saul perished. And here's the application. Christ, the one who's fulfilling the will of the Father, the one appointed to be king, and the one whom every day every knee will bow. But the Pharisees were against Christ. And Christ is making it clear to them that if you continue in rebellion against me, just as Saul continues rebelling against David, you will perish whenever I reign. You see, Christ is the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Whenever it comes to all we've looked at tonight, what the Sabbath is, the real purpose of God for the Sabbath, of how we're truly meant to set it apart according to the command of God, will we submit to the reign of Christ that he is king over our lives, that we are made for him? Recognize that. 
celebrate that Christ and all that's necessary in shedding his blood for us that we can be forgiven and saved and worship him in light of that and proclaim unto all the world that he is worthy of honoring on this day, setting aside all the needless things to worship him in private and in public. Are we willing to fulfill this day and all these principles? To strive to do it with all our hearts? Or will we be like those who are trying to say, well, I don't really fancy it, I don't really like it, I'm just going to do my own thing? Because if we rebel against the authority of Christ, we'll be like Saul, we'll be like the Pharisees. While Christ will reign for eternity, we will perish. Christ is sovereign over the Sabbath. And we are to yield ourselves to him. We have been made by him. And this day is to be set apart for him according to his will and his way. Will you set apart the Sabbath as special? And remember those four principles. And delight in the Sabbath because it's a gift from God in love. The standard of the Pharisees or the standard of God. What standard will you have tonight?